Well, greetings and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, and I'm the host of the iFormerX podcast. Uh, many patients report they are allergic to medications, and of course, we want to avoid the use of any medication when the patient has a true allergy. But as we all know, some of the reactions that patients report aren't allergic reactions, but rather well-known side effects. So that's why it's so important to get a good medication history. In recent years, we've learned that allergies to antimicrobials, such as penicillins, cephalosporins, and sulfa drugs are significantly overreported, and this really hampers antimicrobial stewardship efforts. Figuring out who has a true allergy and who doesn't has increasingly become an important part of pharmacists' responsibilities. There are a few ways to go about figuring out whether a patient has a true allergy. Some services use skin testing, and that's not an easy test to perform. Other clinics use an oral provocation test, but this is not without some risk as the patient might experience a severe reaction. And that's why I thought a recent report in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in practice might be helpful to our listeners because it provides some insight when an oral provocation test can be safely performed. And joining me today to discuss penicillin allergy testing and the use of oral provocation tests are Dr. Frank Veniza and Dr. Emily Prohaska. Frank and Emily are clinical pharmacists in ambulatory care at LMH Health in Lawrence, Kansas. And both Frank and Emily have previously contributed iFormerX, including podcasts and commentary. So it's great to have them both back on the iFormerX podcast today. Thanks, Stuart. I'm happy to be here and really excited to talk about this paper today as we here at LMH Health do perform penicillin allergy skin testing ourselves. And this paper was very relevant to our practice as we have been considering including direct oral challenges to our current protocol. Glad to be back, Stuart. So I also wanted to add on to what Frank already mentioned that our respective practice sites are in primary care clinics, either family medicine or internal medicine. And any physician within our health system can refer patients to our service. And it has been very well received since we implemented it about a year ago in May. So before we get started, I want you to imagine you've been asked by the family medicine resident to consult on a case. NK is a 32-year-old Latin American female who presented for an urgent care visit. The patient has a sore throat for the past few days, and her daughter was diagnosed with strep throat last week. The patient reports that she has an allergy to penicillin, and the family medicine resident wants to know if it would be safe to treat this patient with a cephalosporin or better to play it safe and use azithromycin instead. So Frank, before we talk about the study you reviewed in your commentary, can you tell us about some of the things going through your mind in a case like this? What additional information would you want to collect and assess during this encounter? And are there any additional treatment options you'd be considering? Well, Stuart, we see patients like this all the time. And like you mentioned earlier, how penicillin allergies are overreported. It's estimated that roughly 10% of patients report a penicillin allergy. However, less than 1% are truly allergic. This can definitely be problematic as many infections like strep throat can be effectively treated with a penicillin like a penicillin VK or amoxicillin. When patients have penicillin allergies, they can result in suboptimal treatment with broad-spectrum antibiotics 
especially with strep throat, where you might see patients receive a cephalosporin or azithromycin, which can increase the risk of antimicrobial resistance, possible C. diff infections, as well as adverse events. When thinking about this patient, my first thought would be to try and get a more thorough history on the patient's reported penicillin allergy. When meeting with patients in our clinic, we like to review allergies in detail and make sure each allergy is appropriately documented with a reason for it. When the reason for the allergy is unknown or a rash, I like to investigate further to see if the patient can provide some more detail, especially finding out if there's any IgE-associated reactions along with the rash, such as a uticaria. Also, we want to know, does she remember the reaction herself, or can she describe it? Sometimes we'll have patients tell us that a family member told them in the past they had a reaction, so it might not be clear. Also, if she was taking any other medications at the time that could be associated with that reaction she experienced. And also, what penicillin did she react to? If she reacted to one type of penicillin, we would want to avoid other types. Also, we'd want to know what penicillin did she react to. Of course, if she reacted to one type of penicillin, we would avoid others. However, this may help determine which cephalosporins to avoid, as cross-reactivity can increase with beta-lactams with similar side chains. Investigating the reason for allergy is the first step to help delabel a penicillin allergy. Some patients can be delabeled with an allergy review alone. However, if they can't, that's when we would consider penicillin allergy testing. Emily, let's talk about the results of the study you reviewed for iForm-Rex. Uh, the paper was published online in February 2020 in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice, a journal I suspect most of our listeners don't receive or read. Uh, the manuscript is entitled Multicenter Australian Study to Determine Criteria for Low and High-Risk Penicillin Testing in Outpatients. And we provide a link to the paper on the iForm-Rex website. But can you give us a brief summary of the study design and its major findings? Stuart, this multi-center Australian study was conducted to assess the safety of direct oral provocation challenge to penicillin and statistically determine the optimal definition of low risk. Eligible subjects were at least 16 years old and referred for penicillin allergy assessment. Sites were allowed to individualize testing protocols with varying penicillin reagents for the skin testing, one- or two-step oral penicillin challenges, and several sites also included an extended course of oral penicillin to monitor for delayed reactions. A total of 447 subjects met the inclusion criteria. The mean age of subjects was 43 years old, and about two-thirds were female. The quote-unquote culprit penicillin was unknown in nearly 70% of patients. The most common allergic reaction was grade 1 rash only in about 60% of patients, and nearly three-quarters of subjects experienced the allergic reaction to penicillin more than five years prior to testing. Among subjects who underwent penicillin allergy skin testing and or oral provocation challenge, about 18% of subjects had a positive result meaning a confirmed penicillin allergy. However, almost 97% of subjects who underwent direct oral provocation challenge were successfully delabeled when compared to about 78% who underwent penicillin allergy skin testing followed by oral provocation challenge. Based on statistical modeling done by the authors, factors associated with a higher likelihood of positive reaction based on logistic regression included time since reaction, meaning less than one year, more likely to have a reaction, 
and grade of reaction, meaning grade four reactions were more likely than grade one rash only to have a reaction. And there was no statistically significant differences observed based on sex or age. The optimal statistically and clinically predictive low-risk definition tested was a history of grade one rash-only reaction to penicillin that occurred more than one year prior to testing, and about 55% of subjects met this definition. So, Emily, let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the study. Do you think the strategies employed could help sort out low- and high-risk patients? Um, Do you think the findings of the study can be broadly applied in other health systems. After all, this study was conducted in Australia where patients are probably less likely to bring malpractice lawsuits. So, Stuart, we felt that, yes, this study should help to reassure clinicians, particularly non-allergists, that applying specific screening criteria is a safe and effective way to identify appropriate patients for direct oral provocation challenge to penicillins. This study used practical criteria for risk stratification, and seven of the 14 sites were non-allergist practices. One item of note was that this study allowed various testing protocols between the sites, so there still is not a cookie-cutter recipe for a protocol for clinics that may be seeking to start penicillin allergy testing at their site. When we look at the current joint guidelines regarding penicillin allergy testing from the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology and other national associations, the low-risk definition is a history of an isolated reaction that was unlikely allergic, itching without a rash that occurred at least 10 years ago, had an unknown reaction without IgE-mediated features like hives or anaphylaxis, and a family history of penicillin allergy. There are some sites in the United States, such as Kaiser Permanente in San Diego, that has expanded their low-risk criteria to also include patients with benign somatic symptoms and unknown reactions to the last penicillin exposure. So I do feel there is data to support direct oral provocation challenges to penicillin in non-allergist practice, even in our notoriously litigious American society. Well, Frank, I'm curious what you do in your practice. How is uh, penicillin allergy testing done? And what is your role? Uh, How many referrals do you typically get in your practice in a week or in a month? And what are some of the practical tips that you'd give to our iFormerX members who might wish to start a similar service? This service started about a year ago here at LMH Health. And it was designed to be pharmacist-led, so we're the ones actually performing the test ourselves. So when a patient's referred to our service, we'll contact them by phone to complete an in-depth penicillin allergy review to see if they have a true allergy and to determine if they are appropriate to undergo testing. Up until recently, we have only offered the penicillin allergy skin testing followed by the oral challenge. So when a patient comes into the office, we first perform a scratch test followed by an intradermal test. And for these, we use the major and minor penicillin determinants. For each test, we will wait 15 minutes to monitor for any side effects or reactions. If the patient develops a reaction, we will stop and say that they are allergic to penicillin. If they have a negative test, then we will proceed to the next. After the scratch test and intradermal test, if the patient is negative to both, we will then move on to an oral challenge in which the patient is given a 250 milligram capsule of amoxicillin. After they ingest the amoxicillin, we then observe them for one hour. If no reaction occurs, they are then determined to be not allergic to penicillin. 
However, we will still follow up with them within 24 hours to confirm that they do not have a delayed reaction. Once we confirm no delayed reaction, we'll actually then close the loop with all their providers, including the provider that referred them, their primary care doctor, any provider they see, including dentists, podiatrists, eye doctors, pharmacists, just to let them know that the patient underwent testing and to let them know what the result was. Before the start of COVID-19, we were having about one referral a week, and so far we've completed 25 penicillin allergy skin tests. Some advice I would have for my colleagues that are interested in starting a penicillin allergy skin testing service is to get provider buy-in. When we started this a year ago, we had a lot of support from our infectious disease team, but other groups are also interested in the service, including oncology, obstetrics, and surgery. I would suggest including an option for direct oral challenge in addition to skin testing. We recently updated our protocol to include this option for patients deemed to be a low risk for a reaction, and this paper was part of our decision to do as such. Oral challenge alone helps to cut down the cost of the service, which can be helpful for those presenting a business plan. And direct oral challenges can help cut down on time needed to prepare the reagents needed for the procedure. If you can, I would offer both types of tests so that way more patients can undergo testing. Lastly, I would make sure you have a comfortable chair for patients to sit in as they will be in your office for close to two hours and make sure they bring an iPad or book to keep them occupied. Frank, let's go back to the patient case. Let's assume that NK is willing to undergo testing for penicillin allergy, and you believe, based on the history you've collected, that she is low risk for a severe penicillin allergy. Would you recommend an oral provocation test only, or skin testing, or both in this case? So for this patient, if she was deemed low risk, we would proceed with a graded oral challenge. So if doing an oral provocation test alone, we'll actually do a two-step oral challenge here. And so our two doses would actually be based off the therapeutic dose used for treatment of strep throat. So for her, this would be amoxicillin 500 milligrams twice a day. So the first dose we would use would be one-tenth of that 500 milligrams or 50 milligrams. So we'd give her that 50 milligrams and observe her for 30 minutes. If she did not have a reaction after that, we would then proceed to a therapeutic dose of 500 milligrams. Once she ingested the 500 milligrams, we would observe her for the hour, and if no reaction occurred, then she would be deemed non-allergic, and she can go home with a script for amoxicillin or penicillin that day. Well, Frank, Emily, I want to thank you both for once again uh, being a guest on the iFormerX podcast and discussing penicillin allergy testing. I think it's clear from your comments, you believe this is a unique service that pharmacists are in a great position to provide and that there's a demand and a need for this kind of service, which until now has been largely available through allergist offices. So to make it more readily available in primary care settings and family medicine settings, I think this is a great role for pharmacists. Well, tell us what you think. Are you involved in penicillin allergy testing? Have you had experience with the oral provocation test? Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. You can become a member of iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today. 
Uh, to all of you out there who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists, I, I hope you'll check out the board recertification program offered by the American Pharmacists Association. We've partnered with APHA to make iFormerX commentaries and podcasts available for board recertification and continuing education credit. To learn more about APHA's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program, click on the link at the bottom of the written commentary, which is posted on the iFormerX website. And lastly, a special thanks goes to Mary Beth Seipel, Eric Gunderson, and Amanda Applegate for creating and maintaining our brand new COVID-19 resource page, which you can find by using the drop-down menu on the iFormerX homepage. This fantastic resource was first posted in early May 2020, and it's our goal to keep the page up to date with the latest developments and recommendations on workplace safety, as well as screening, testing, treating, and educating patients about COVID-19. I'm afraid we're going to be living with this pandemic for quite some time, and every pharmacist really should be a knowledgeable authority on this subject. So, Many thanks to Mary Beth, Eric, and Amanda for keeping us well-informed and up-to-date. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Music